change. They want me to change, but I ain't changing. Nah. I remain the same. And you are now tuned into another episode of Intellectually Petty Radio. Brought to you by M3S3 Clothing. Men make moves and suckers stand still. And as always on the mighty, 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 mighty Nerve DJs Radio Network. And today... Well, today's just been dope, man. You already know, man. I only rock with legends, and today is absolutely no exception. And I'm I'm a chill because I've got super professional. I've got Kevin Tolbert, the well, let me make sure I get this right. Twelfth district conge- congressional chairman, the tongue twister. Um, but the brother's just a, a phenomenal person, just a superhero to many, and a regular guy to those that he loves, Mr. Kevin Tolbert. How you doing, bro? Wow. With that introduction, man, I feel like I should take you everywhere I go with me, man. <laughs> you know, I've been I've been working on it. That that that, that title, man, has just had me tongue tied a little bit, though. Yeah, well, I'm getting used to it too. I mean, sometimes I go, well, it's only been since July of this year, July eighth, uh, and uh, so yeah, it's it's a it's a long title. Um, lots lots of people don't even know what the heck it is we do and what's going on. But I thanks was just for about having to ask you. What exactly is that? Yeah, so uh, the 12th congressional district is uh, we Michigan recently went through. We lost one congressional seat, so basically Michigan, the state, we got more young people moving out than is living here. So every 10 years, as a result of the census, uh, you know they look and see the numbers, and then they reduce or add congressional seats as per population. We lost one, so as a result, uh, they took Detroit and they basically uh, increased the areas of Detroit and the surrounding cities around it. And our congressional district, uh, we used to have 14, now we're down to 13. And so they just basically reportioned the whole state. Uh, and so the 12th congressional district, um, currently we have a Democrat, Rashida Tlaib, is the uh, congresswoman in that seat. And then other than her, I am uh, elected as the Democratic chair, meaning that I'm heavily involved in ensuring that Democrats in the 13 cities that encompass the 12th congressional district can thrive, survive, be armed, informed, and uh, help get people elected and be able to move the needle for people. So that's what we do. I absolutely need to interview her, by the way. Okay. I'm sure we can make that happen. It's a Please lot of do. Yeah. Because what I'm finding is I'm, I'm, I'm interested in the conflict, the, the war, however you want to define it. Um, and I'm finding that, uh, I can find um, Jewish people that, that are willing to come on the show, but I can't find any Palestinians that will, that publicly want to come on the show. You know, the, the 12th district, the district uh, Rashida Tlaib represents, it's a big challenge right now. So we have, to be clear, we have uh, uh, cities like Southfield, Lathrop, uh, Franklin, uh, Bingham Farms, uh, and Beverly Hills. And I call those cities for reason because there's lots of people who are Jewish faith who live in those communities. And then you go south through Detroit and, and, and you end up in Dearborn and Dearborn Heights, where we have a large group of, of people who are Muslim, who are of Arabic faith from the Middle East. And so we are had a challenge. We just had a meeting last weekend and a lot of people thought it was a great meeting, our 12th district meeting. because we talked about it. I mean, mm-hmm. and we talked about how do we navigate in this space where in part of the room, we have people who are very upset over the terrorist attack that took place and the loss of life uh, in, in Israel. And then you have another group of people are saying, but yeah, the response to turn around and have another large loss of life. You know, how does one wrong uh, get equaled by another wrong? And, you know, so this is a challenge. And one of the things we committed to in the 12th district, one of the things that personally I said from the stage was, one of the problems we struggle so much with is that we lead from the lens of anger, from the lens of you different than me, you got different beliefs. But at the end of the day, we got all these different faiths. Love is supposed to be right at the forefront of all of them. So if I'm not exhibiting love for another person, then I'm already in the wrong. So let's figure out how we can do that in this space. So, But I'm sure she'd come on and love to talk about it. Uh, and you can hear more from her on that. Um, I had a briefing I got a chance to participate in today uh, mm-hmm. and hear about, you know, how much confusion and how much um, how much people are attempting to manipulate this situation. I mean, it's, it's a tricky issue if you think about it. You, you got 
before this, everybody was very much focused on the war in Ukraine. So you got Putin on one side and you got what's happening in China in terms of whether they can annex Taiwan and what's happening with Ukraine. And then now the United States is focused very much on protecting our interests and protecting Israel in this region. There's people like, yay, don't pay attention. And so there's people trying to manipulate that and ramp this up to try to make this a huge regional conflict. It's really some uh, trying times right now. How do you get the job, bro? I ran for it. Uh, you know, uh, the 12th district, uh, all the Democratic Party uh, elections take place uh, usually in the odd number of years. Uh, and so basically the district is about 770,000 people. Uh, whoever identifies as a Democrat, either they sign up uh, and pay a membership or either, uh, either a free membership as well. Um, they have opportunity to come in as long as they've been a member 30 days before the election and they come in and vote. And uh, it was a, a fun campaign. I'll tell you that. I was challenged. I was pushed uh, and lots of good Democrats. And uh, I got opportunity to move around these communities and uh, it's interesting because uh, Livonia, Westland, Inkster, Garden City, Redford, all that combined with the other cities I name. It's a big, uh, very diverse group. And so I ran for it. I was successful. And uh, I'm enjoying the work because it is a lot of work that goes with it. Yeah, I'm going to pass on it, bro. Um, are you hearing more disillusionment? Uh, uh, more, more black folks pissed off with the Democratic Party. Absolutely. Um, so let me just say this. Let's take away no matter who is president. Does not matter right now. That has been goal number one. We black folks have been um, a very significant part of getting a president elected. We either do it by our votes or we do it by our absence. That's just been the way it is pretty much since uh, the 1960s when um, Lyndon Johnson signed the Civil Rights Act. And one of the things he said was, we've probably lost the white vote for a generation. And it's been many generations, as a matter of fact. The white vote has been pretty much going to the Republican Party. Uh, and it takes uh, black, um, uh, black Americans to push the difference over for Democrats to win when we do win. And mm -hmm. I'm saying that to say, um, there are times when Democrats get it right, and there are times when we don't. And usually when we don't, um, or when we are made to think that we don't, a lot of us get angry and we stay home. And so I'm not one to act like the Democratic Party is perfect. I did not join and I've not been a member all these years because I thought it was perfect. But I think my job is to be a part of this party and also try my best to hold them accountable and also push, 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 push and demand what I know to be right for us as African-Americans and us just as Americans in general. But yeah, I got, like I, folks, I, man. I got a couple bones to pick. Specifically with, definitely with Biden. I think Biden is horrible, and that's just my two cents. Um, but I think he he has been more more egregious in taking the advantage of our vote than probably any of his predecessors. And the whole "you ain't black if you don't vote for me" still got a, I got still got a bitter taste in my mouth when you you actually uttered that that statement. Um, Curious, if a black man had uttered that statement, you probably still have the same bitter taste, though, wouldn't you? No, no. I mean. Uh, yeah, I probably would. No, yeah, I, I, I would. I mean, I get yeah. the point and the sentiment of, of why people are upset about that one. Um, and I, you know, I think that at times uh, our president probably says things really glib. It just comes off and he'll say stuff. Uh, I got a chance to meet him years ago when he was in the White House as vice president. And they called him Uncle Joe then. And Uncle Joe... Uh, well, maybe this isn't politically correct to say, but that's really like what you do on here, right? Uncle Joe, you know, kind of had a foul mouth and he just brought all the fun and all the humor to the Obama White House and everybody loved him. And he just joked and he said whatever. And that's really been uh, President Biden's brand. He probably would have been a leading contender for president many years ago if he wasn't so um, if his, if he didn't say things at times that people didn't really like. Um, mm. And so you got to take people as they are. There's people who will have do great things for us, but they ain't going to be perfect, um, you know? And so I don't expect perfection out of people, but I, uh, let's, I just want to say this thing about uh, Joe Biden. Um, he came to be president because we needed him. And let's, uh, you can say whatever you want. We could not have taken another term 
of Donald J. Trump. We just couldn't. I mean, we, are, are you familiar with Pastor Daryl Scott? Yeah, I watched his interview with you. I watched it all. I enjoyed uh, it and found lots of things. Boy, I could have. I was like, let me in on this. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I did. Yeah. Um, I found it. In, I, I found it interesting, cat. You know, and I know he's supposed to be. You know, like he he's got a horrible reputation, and me and him discussed that. But he had some valid points with his, about about Trump, and it, it it Trump's an asshole. Excuse my language. And that turned a lot of people off, especially black folks. That's why Biden won. Biden didn't win. Trump lost. And Biden somehow misconstrued that as a victory and has done nothing for our people and done everything for the world. Well, I'm going to say a couple of things. One, the heavy lift that it took in the middle of a pandemic to engage and push people to work, listen, I mean, to vote. I have a hard time hearing Biden didn't win, that he, that Trump just lost. Trump has been nothing but a disgrace, okay? And it still took a huge lift of energy, of passion, of engagement, of people fighting all the way from the beginning of the election season, all the way through the inauguration, through the, through the transfer of power, because this man did not want to let it go. Biden won that election. I'm not accepting the concept. We're entitled to disagree on that one. Mm -hmm. A lot of people put in a lot of great work to make sure that he won the election. And uh, a lot of people work, per, worked really hard against what we saw as America being in a complete dictatorship. So well, I don't think we can excuse. I, I can, I, it's fair to have criticism of, mm -hmm. of President Biden. It's fair to say I want more for black people. I'm with you. I, I, I'm 100% there. I want to know what happened to reparations, which was a big part of the discussion uh, uh, in, during the 2020 campaign. Uh, uh, Congressman Cedric Richmond from out of Louisiana came on and was going to be spearheading that. And I haven't heard much more about that anymore. So I agree. There's things that we can demand and want. But just because we don't get things doesn't mean that we throw away all of it. And that's not how politics work. We have to be intellectually mature and understand, first, we're playing offense, but we also got to play defense. And if I get if I score 72 points and I still lose in a football game, I still lost. So yeah. it's it's a little of both. Okay, so you you are, for lack of better terms, over 700,000 people. Yes, sir. What do you envision as the biggest change you can make? Well, my my job, I see it as now, first of all, all 700,000 of those people aren't Democrats and aren't going to want to hear what Kevin Tober has to say or Rashid Tlaib uh, or, you know, Gretchen Whitmer or even uh, President Joe Biden. Uh, you know, so the, we can't necessarily say all these people want to hear from us. Correct. But what I'm saying is and what I want to do in this space, in this role, and that's a great question you asked, because I started out asking, where can I move the needle? And I, I just said this earlier. Um, I said, I don't want to be a part of things if I can't figure out how to move the needle to affect people. Mm -hmm. And so my job and what we're working to do is first and foremost, and you hear this all the time, oh, I want to make you see some voters. I want to get new voters in. But it's really important because if you don't, then you, anything is going to die. Um, and we need new people and constantly educating and bringing people along. But the biggest thing that I want to do is I grew up on my wall right there, you all can't see it, is a picture of Coleman Alexander Young, uh, Mayor of oh, Detroit. And the reason why he's on my, my wall is because I understood that during the time he was mayor and what he did was he engaged and brought black people along and brought and created a system where we were involved in politics, where there was an opportunity for us, where we learned at a young age. We had levels of various leaders and it was an opportunity for people. So what can I do in this space? One, get people back engaged in politics. Yeah, it's frustrating. Man, yeah, they get on my nerves. Yes, it's times when I'm over here, I might say a few choice <laughs> words about people in the Democratic Party, the Republican Party, the independents and everybody else. Yes, it's a frustrating process. But I also know that I'm not going to ever win and we're never going to win. And what is winning? Creating better lives for all of us 
if I'm sitting at home yelling at a TV screen. So I got to go out and I got to spend time with people who say, I'm never going to be a part of politics again. And I don't want this and I don't want that. And I got to take some of this passion and energy I got and say, but wait a minute. And I got to give them a little history and I got to give them a little present and I got to reach in. I got to find ways to motivate people. And that's what we're doing in this space. Our teams, our leadership team, a group of people that are meeting this Monday coming up to mm. make sure that we engage voters. And I think that's the biggest thing that needs to happen. We need to engage people. We need to arm them with information and help them be inoculated against so much. These things. Oh, my God. Social media is coming for us to manipulate <laughs> us, to, to trick us, to, to make us think deep fakes are coming where they're going to have AI videos. It's going to sound like Joe Biden saying this and sound like Kamala Harris doing that and look like, you know, uh, a senator or somebody else is doing this. They're coming to manipulate and trick us. And the only way we can stop it is just what we're doing now, conversation. So are, is it your job to endorse candidates or do you strictly after the candidate has been chosen, you try to ensure that they win? Well, what we do is in our in our district, we do endorse candidates. So we're we're looking to figure out a way to find the right people. So we have an endorsement committee mm-hmm. uh, in some places um, in which we uh, not some places all throughout our district. Uh, we actually going to have three endorsement committees, three separate ones. And I'm sorry to cut you off, but I don't know what's going on, but there there have been just a couple of times where it just, I can't hear what you're saying. Oh, no. It catches back up, but, and I I don't know if it's just, you know, like when when I hear you, you're perfect. So I don't think it's a proximity to the mic. I'm not sure what it is. Um, But I'm sorry I interrupted you, but have you chosen? But endorsement. I was going to say, who are you endorsing? We were talking about endorsements. Of Detroit. Have you chosen yet? Well, there's not a race. There's not a race yet. And we haven't chosen anybody. And we haven't endorsed anybody just yet for any of the positions. Um, um, but we will be endorsing. Um, there is a committee. We bring together the people who participate and we interview candidates and we talk to them. Uh, and we get a grasp of their mindset, their feel, and uh, what they're going to be doing and what how they're going to be able to affect people. And but what we're doing now is that's what we're doing is bringing new people in so that everybody goes, how do we get these people who voted for them? Who picked them? Well, that's where you got to start now. You start early on, long before the mayor's race. You know, I know people Mm -hmm. are talking about this for mayor or this for senator. But you start now learning these people and making relationships with them uh, that we open our doors and say, come in for our 100 to 150 to 200 person meeting that we get once a month. Come talk to us. See what you're saying. Um, interact with us and let us get a feel for you and who you are and are you the right person for us. But yeah, that takes place through an endorsement process. They make a recommendation to our executive body. And then after we review it, then we take it to the general body and uh, we vote on it from there. Are you satisfied with the direction that Detroit is going? Hmm. Well, I'm probably not satisfied with much anything. I always want more. I always want better, Uh, you know, the direction. I mean, like I said, I'm, I'm pointing to Coleman Young. And I mean, I just wish that more of us didn't get so. And I mean, by us, and I don't mean just race. I just wish more good people didn't get so frustrated, but definitely good black people, too. We just get so frustrated and check out of stuff. But that's the goal. The goal is to get everybody sitting at home chilling and and then the, the the evil people, the mean people, the difficult people, the scammers, the schemers, the tricksters, they're the only ones left and a few people who really are passionate and then they can run over and get away with it. And so we got to check back in. That's a lot of us check completely out, man, out of everything. You, know, you can't even mention politics to them. They don't want to hear it. So when I think about Detroit, I think about getting more people to check back in to. I remember I did a radio show a few years back called uh, and I titled it. Um, it's funny because I hear people say all the time now. And but it was called the two Detroits. And the difference mm-hmm. was this was 2007 or eight because I had all these friends moving from other places. Say, I got to be in Detroit. This is what's happening. I can make money and I can do deals. And then I had all these people who grew up in Detroit going, I got to get the heck out of Detroit. I hate it here. It's miserable. And I'm like, why do we see two different Detroits? Why do people don't understand that there's two different mindsets of what's going on? And how can I get to people who are 
residents and natives to check in and be a part of Detroit and stay active and engage the same way that these people who are moving here and excited about it. Because that's really why I think Detroit is uh, in this weird space now is because a lot of natives moved out, moved on and really want no part of it. And then it's going to be this big, you know, change and they weren't a part of it and they could have benefited. Um, well, I haven't lived in Detroit for decades, but I'm back there. My kids there, grandkids there. Um, my mother used to live there until she passed away. My stepfather's still there, etc. So I'm back frequently. And what I see is this current mayor is sharing information with his people. And his people are on the other side of 8 Mile. And they're coming back and taking advantage of the information. Now, I'm not accusing this man of nothing, but it's just that every mayor has friends. Every governor has friends. And I, I, it's, I'm not saying that he's a criminal or anything, but what I am saying is that Native Detroiters are out of that, that loop, generally speaking. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, um, you know, I know this much. I know that there's opportunity. There's so much opportunity in Detroit, and it just means that people have to see it. They got to see it. It's not going to be clear. If it was so obvious that it was for anybody to step up and grab it, then it would be there. But opportunities don't work like that. Sometimes you got to have a little faith. Mm-hmm. You got to jump out there and you got to say, you know what, I'm going I'm to I'm take this risk and I'm going to do it. Lots of people have done it over the years and it didn't necessarily pan out. Uh, I, I, the um, former basketball player, Derek Coleman, native Detroiter, put a lot of money into places around Metro Detroit and they didn't pan out. And they weren't all in, you know, Detroit proper. They were all around mm-hmm. Metro Detroit. So he definitely took the risk. But, you know, the other part is timing. And it, you know, it looks like this time, if it, downtown Detroit, it looks nothing like it looked 10 years ago. It is unbelievable. There's new restaurants and new everything. So I guess what I'm saying is before I would be critical and jump down and say, and not to say that there aren't things that could be better under this current mayor, I just wish more of us got in because if I was fighting saying, hey, give me something, hook up me or my friend or whatever else, that's one thing. But if 30, 40, 50 of us are all got the same issue, if 50 of us sit in the city council with the same issue, it's a different response yeah. than one or two. Yeah. Although I'm going to be I'm going to be a thousand percent honest with you. I feel some type of way. Some white guy is the mayor. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people struggle with that. I mean, you know, we we he's been the mayor and uh, been the mayor for what? I think fourth term now, third or fourth term. And, uh, you it's know, it's ridiculous is- to me Like Coleman Young is somewhere rolling over in his grave and doing jumping jacks. He cannot believe it. Yeah, I mean, here here's the deal, though. And uh, I'm sorry he- to put you in that. In, in, in- no, no, no. I'm, I'm going to say this because he's the, for, we all hear from all. You know, if you read the tea leaves, he's not running for mayor again. He's he's going to move on and run for a bigger position. So there's going to be opportunity. And almost every name I've heard has been African-American. I've yet to hear anything different. So here's the question then. Mm-hmm. Will we get quality people? I've heard some good names. I hear some people are engaged. You know, it's not like, you know, we're going to hear somebody looking to try to obviously who's a crook or is trying to scheme or scam us. Um, it appears that, you know, there's a lot of names that's being floated around. So um, I will say this, for whatever criticisms we had of, of the former of the current mayor, it, you, it's going to be our turn again. So I want to see how we find a way to work together and how we make sure that there's nothing that goes backwards, if you will. Um, I don't think it took us to have a white mayor to have our downtown be developed the way it did. I don't think it took us to have to have a white mayor. I think it just took for us to get everybody on the same page and it seemed as if, for the first time in a while, everybody did get on that same page under Duggan. Well, they got up under the same page under Illich. Duggan well, just happened to, to be the guy you, taking credit. You can't discount the work uh Dan Gilbert as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah you, let, me, let me back up. You're absolutely right. Um, okay, so Big Gretch. You you know her, right? You, you met her? Absolutely. Good politician. Are you allowed to say anything bad about a Democrat? Yeah, 
bad. I'm not. I'm not going to sit here and say everybody's great. I mean, I told you clearly. I you still want to know what happened to reparations under Biden? So you heard me say that. That's my criticism right there. I okay. you know I wish more things had happened that we could as black people directly grab and point to and say this happened for us under Obama. It didn't. Indirectly, it happened. We benefited in a large way. Uh, things happened like him saving the auto industry. Heck yeah, that did a lot for black people. But it didn't I happen. I completely disagree before. with that that move too. I think that was a what? it set a horrible precedent. The point of having the point of of of, of our, the way our system is set up is so that it, you have every opportunity to make money to build a great company. But there should not be a company that is quote unquote too big to fail. You should be able to fail just like everybody else. And if one of those companies had failed, the rest of them would have done like they always do. They did vultured over the carcass, picked it apart, and kept it moving. Uh, we gave these people okay money. Was it okay to save the airline industry? This on the web. No, absolutely but we not. Did. Was it okay to save the banking industry? No, absolutely but we not. Did. Was it okay to step in and help all those firms that wrecked the economy uh, and got a ton of money, large uh, investment firms during the same time? But we did. So I think that's the problem, though. The fact that we are when you save the first one, the rest of them look at it as a blank check. Well, I will say this. If we're going to save these entities, Mm -hmm. they must have a huge economic value. So I think it's easy to say, oh, we shouldn't save this and let people figure it out and fail and let them do this and fail. You know, the auto industry wouldn't have been in the position it was in if the financial industry didn't flop first. The auto industry got into some huge problems as a result of they couldn't sell a car if they wanted to. Nobody Mm -hmm. had any financing arms to do it with. That happened because of them changing the laws to allow banks to double dip, to play both sides that they used to play in. And no one had an issue with that. So the problem wasn't caused because a bunch of people at GM or or over at the former Chrysler was just out here making crappy cars that nobody was buying. People were buying those cars, but the industry struggled immensely because of what happened in the financial side of it. Mm -hmm. Uh, Did they benefit immensely by being able to restructure? Heck yeah, they did. Did they benefit immensely by being able to get loans that they paid back for the most part? Heck yeah, they did. But you know what? We're sitting at a time now where people are fighting over student loans and that, oh, these people better pay back their student loans. But we also allow them to give out PPE loans and give out other loans to people that are never going to pay them back. So if we don't let people get some extra money, if we're going to give a stimulus program out to the economy, I'd rather see it to go to regular working people who went and struggled, sacrificed and did something than to no one. And to or, or to just to a corporation or a business that might not even be open in three to four years. And those people never got to pay that money back. So I will fight vehemently over saying that they shouldn't have fought. Uh, you see, I rolled up my sleeves, bro. You start talking about you're from Detroit <laughs> and you talking about they should have let the dog on. It got hot in here or something. I'm talking about they should have met Romney and me talking about they should have let the if I own us If I own a store on Seven Mile and Southfield and I'm not making no money. Nobody's going to come save me. They're going to let it fail. Why yeah, should you be any different? Because you're talking about people who employ three to five to 10 people. When you're talking about people who were applying, uh, employing at the time, a hundred thousand people directly, indirectly, there are about eight to one jobs tied to an assembly plant. So you're talking about an impact to our economy. That's humongous. There's no doubt that no other country has let their auto industry flop the way we have been doing. Okay, Canada fights very hard to protect. You sure about that? In Germany, they they didn't do you know they they didn't let Volkswagen just follow it back. I've spent extensive extensive time in Germany, and I will tell you that the uh, German uh, government and the auto unions are like this. It's not even an issue. They don't even battle about this thing. Uh, it's inbred. It's stuff they take care of. It's not, When you're in Germany, they ask mm-hmm. you in your 10th grade year, do you want to go to college or you want to go and work in industry? And he says, well, college ain't for me. So a guy or a young lady says, okay, cool. We're going to put you in this semi-skilled trades program. And so mm-hmm. then for two years, you graduate after that, and then they bring you in for the union. And now mm-hmm. you work for... 
IG Mattel, or you know, they, they pronounce it Iggy Mattel, and you go to work for them for another year, and then they come to you and say, hey, do you want to go over here? We got an opportunity for you to go, and you can work at BMW. The guy goes, nah, I don't work at no BMW. Okay, well, you want to work at Porsche? Nah, I don't work at no Porsche. Oh, okay, you want to work over at Audi? You know what? Yeah, I think I'll go work for Audi. So then they go and work. Who are they loyal to, one, number one? They're loyal to that government that gave them that semi-skilled um, education and that union that trained them. They don't care nothing about which company they work for. And they have protected that industry. The German auto industry is massive. And they very much are protected by the government. And they have a partnership in which they're never going to let that go away. So in America, what we did was say, let's hurry up and get rid of our industry. And we're going to make it cheaper. And we're going to make it where you can pay less taxes if you go make it in Mexico. What? Yeah. Gave it away which were jobs, and that didn't happen, by the way, until after NAFTA. And after NAFTA, we've seen all these jobs start shifting down. We created the laws that say it makes more sense for you to go to Mexico to make cars than to make them here and provide jobs for people. So that's the difference between a job on 7 Mile and these facilities. I get it. It doesn't seem right at times, but the government should play a hand in providing opportunities for people. That's the role of government to be able to create a fair playing field, to be able to give the people in its communities an opportunity and to be able to make sure people get the things that we need. That's what government should be doing. Why are you not running, bro? <laughs> I, I ran for a position already. Um, I am um, enjoying what I'm doing now. I'm learning a lot. And oh, come I, on, man. Stop, stop with the political speech, bro. No, Why? I am. What, what you waiting on? <laughs> I'm not waiting on anything other than there has to be the opportunity for me. There has to be the opportunity for me. You know, you don't just jump on everything. I, honestly, man, they've asked me to run for positions. People came to me as 25, 30 years old. You should run. You should run. One of the things I'm most glad about is my experience uh, working and getting to know people. Because if you don't really love people, you should never lead people. And I'm going to be honest, if 20-year-old me who just went off to college and thought I knew everything got elected to something, man, I wouldn't have the, the ability to be able to have some love for people. Um, and, you know, uh, for those who don't know me, full disclosure, I've worked 29 years at Ford Motor Company, and, and I worked in, in doing things for the union. And so I got a chance to meet, you know, a guy from Iowa who teach me about corn detasseling. And I get a chance to talk to a, a guy from... Palestine and him be able to bring in food and eat. And though he couldn't even speak a lot of English, we had a bond. And I got a chance to understand that you don't always need words. You can communicate sometimes just by being able to understand what people all have in common. And so mm -hmm. I got a chance to love people. And I'm glad that I had that experience. So I am learning. I am learning right now a lot. I mean, I'll tell you, this level of party leadership it's a great learning experience. You got to learn when to shut up sometimes. Oh, that wasn't people, people overrated. People ain't shit, bro. <laughs> Not true. Some people. <laughs> some people <laughs> aren't. Uh, a lot of people, man, have been uh, stomped on. They've been beat up on. They've seen the worst side of life, so they show everybody the worst side. Um, and I find most of those people. I had a guy, man, who hated my guts, man. I, I couldn't do nothing at all to make this guy just relax and be like, stop messing with me. And the more I got a chance to understand, I graduated from high school when I was 16. And when I got a chance to understand him, he grew up in the deep South. And, uh, I, you know, I'm gonna say his name cause you don't even know if he's still around. His name was Carl Woodson. And Carl Woodson used to give me hell, man. I mean, he would be, he'd be whatever I did, he was mad at at work. And it wasn't until one weekend, him and I were working together and he, he would mess up my last name. He'd say, Tobit. I'm going to tell you something. And he was so evil, man. He cussed me out every day for nothing. And he, this weekend, he was nice. And he started to tell me that he graduated from high school when he was 16, too. And he got a full-ride scholarship to, uh, I forgot the school, but uh, one of the universities there. And his mother and his family was all proud of him. And he went off to school, and the racism was too much for him. He got into fights all the time. He came back home. He said, I can't do it. He looked at me, and he said, I could have been you. I could have been this young, smart guy with a great education, and I never get to be you. So he took his anger out on me because he felt like uh, racism robbed him of an opportunity to be what I was. 
Mm. That when I understood that, and I watched him work all overtime in the world he could to make sure his sons and his daughters could go to college, and he was paying for it. Guess what? I had no more problem with Carl Woodson. He never was nice to me. That was the only weekend he was ever nice to me. He cussed me out every weekend after that. But I didn't have no more problem with it because I understood. And that's what I mean about getting to learn people. You know, I wanted to strangle him a few times, but I gave him grace because I understood what he'd been through and what I represented uh, to him. So, yeah, you can say people aren't this, but I find it challenging. Abraham Lincoln's quote, he said, I don't like that man. I must get to know him. And I've tried to abide by that now. I ain't gonna lie to you, bro. Sometimes some people I'm gonna just have to leave in the I don't like category, but yeah, man. You, I, I you, try. You better than me, bro, because I just don't care. Uh the whole uh speaker of the house situation, are Democrats snickering in the background or is is it <laughs> I am <laughs> and, and I'm gonna tell you why I'm snickering. Because, you know, first thing first, uh, uh, a very wise politician said that you do not attack people, you attack ideas. Because if you attack people, then you will never be able to come to any common ground with them because their feelings are going to be hurt. Mm -hmm. By the way, that wise politician was our current president, Joe Biden. He said this about 12 years ago. And, And why I agree with that is because if we always keep beating up on the individuals, then we'll never be able to make bills together a la Tip O'Neill. And I'm going back in the day. Some people probably don't know who that is, but he was Speaker of the House uh, back when I was a kid. And so, um, you know, I'm chuckling because we have had a group of people who want no parts of doing the business of governing. And all they want to do is tear down and beat up and create chaos. And I watched a guy today try to say, the Democrats are responsible for this. What? He said, wait a minute, sir, the Republicans are the majority. And he said, no, no, but the Democrats were the majority of the votes that voted against, uh, you know, Jordan and who just has his two failed bids and voted against and gave us all these problems and, and with McCarthy. Sir, it was a Republican that initiated the, the challenge to the speakership and created this. And the Democrats tell us now, and our Congresswoman just recently told me this the other day, they get there and, you know, their common normal practices. Okay, let's get ready to go to war and we're going to have a battle with Republicans. She said, we can't even battle with them right now. We can't even debate over issues or ideas to get anywhere. They're too busy in their own debate with each other. And it's really sad because there are people who just want to tear down our whole form of government and they were elected and now the world's getting a chance to see them and i hope people learn from that and make sure we don't repeat that pattern again because you can't do our business like this look at all the uh the uh uh, military leaders that haven't been placed yet because the republicans refuse to do it i mean we are not doing the business of running our government and we're letting politics get in the way d or r is supposed to be p first and that's people you think this country's got another 100 years? <laughs> I hope it does, man. Shoot. I got a granddaughter, man. You know, I think it does. You know, one of the things I'm often reminded of is when I start going, this looks terrible. And look at this. And this chaos here. And this chaos over here. And this controversy here. And this problems here. And this looks bad. And what's going on in the Middle East? And then you got Ukraine and inflation. And all that stuff can make you just start to go, whoa, whoa, whoa. But then I start to think back. Man, what the heck was my great-grandmother going through and my grandmother? My grandmother lived through the Depression, World War II, immense racism. She couldn't even buy a house on her own up until I was almost born. I mean, she couldn't get credit. I mean, she went through so much. And that little five-foot woman was so strong and nothing, nothing stopped her and did so much in her life to age 92 that... I know things were bleaker and darker when you had uh, missiles supposedly right here in Cuba and everybody thought the world was about to end because we're going to have the nukes going off between the. I know it was scarier then than it is now. And if we made it through that, then we'll make it through this. And then I'm a praying person. And I know for sure that I'm going to put my trust in God. I had a man. I had a huge debate with my mom. I love being a debate with my mother. If you still have your mother, I heard you say your mother passed. Yeah, uh, my condolences because I know you still miss her every day. But I love yeah. being able to pick up the phone and call my mother 
and we have these debates about we can you know it'd be anything religion sports politics and, and my mother had a concussion she ain't supposed to be doing that but we still do it <laughs> but, 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 but we, we be on the phone having a debate the other day because if you think about it people will say in revelations it's all the signs of the end of the world so we ain't got much time left you know jesus is near and i've been hearing that i've been going to church since i was a little boy it wasn't even an option we went seven times a week sometimes eight i think uh but and i've been hearing this message forever right the world is jesus you better draw near to jesus because the world's coming to end and i pushed back the other day i said mom if the world let's just say jesus was here two thousand years ago and we believe the calendar let's just pretend that that's all accurate and correct then for two thousand years people have been saying the same thing Every time there's some earthquakes, every time things look bad, yeah. the world is coming to an end. I reject that. I reject that. I don't think the world's about to come to the end. It's been dark, dark, horrible times before. And guess what? It's sometimes not as dark, but my faith tells me it's going to be a way that we figure out and keep going. Because I just turned 50 this year, which I still can't believe. You know, I, I got a lot of friends who didn't make it to here. So, Yo. I'm 51. I'll be 52 in January. Oh, First all right. Off, why the fuck do I look like Santa Claus if you look like you're 26? <laughs> That's the gray hair hiding, but it's there. It's all whatever. There. <laughs> it's right there. It's right there. But, but yeah. But I, I, yo, like, I, I remember me and my mother used to be the exact same way. Like, when yeah. we would, you know, I, I, I gave up on the religious arguments, though. Because growing up, she was never a religious woman at all. Later on in life, when she got in the church, she got in the church. And I said, you know what, I, I'm, I'm going to leave that one alone because it's not, it's not worth it. I don't want you hating me. You know, um, although after she passed, I will say that her church gave me hope for the church mm. as a whole. Mm. To this day... Like my stepfather still goes to the church. What and church, man? Can we say that? I, I can't remember the name of the church. Like I, I never. She would ask me to go, and I never went. That's my one of my biggest regrets in life, is that I just. Can I tell you something? What's that? Next time you come back to Detroit, or even where you are now, if you go to church and you sit still, you're gonna feel your mother there because I believe in energy. This might mm -hmm. be off topic, or whatever, but it's we all just energy. Me, you. You, uh, where you at? What city you in today? I'm in Cleveland. All right. Oh, Lord, help you. You in Cleveland, Ohio. Trust me, I know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> My grandfather used to call, I won't even say that. People in Cleveland hate me. I won't even say it. Anyway, Cleveland, you in Cleveland, but yet we got energy here. This energy is coming right through the internet. We can, I can feel passion about what you passionate about. And I think your mother was trying to invest something into you, even, you know, where you are now. Uh, and, and I just feel like, you know, you need to go to that church just to be close to your mother in that moment, whether you're in Cleveland or whether you're back here. I think it'd be a special moment for you. You should go. My thing with church, man, is I sit there and I've, it, it's just been my whole life. Mentally, I'm, I'm, I'm phone checking the pastor, so to speak. Like, you know, whatever you're saying, and I've read the Bible from end to end. Now, do I remember every detail? No. But somehow my brain registers on whatever you're talking about. And I'm like, oh, no, no, bro, that's not right. That's not that's not correct. You know, there's something about, you know, I don't know what it is, but I just can't stop questioning. Hmm. And that's always been my issue and, and with with church, to be quite honest. It, it's, it's not that I don't believe in God. I don't believe in somebody else's version of God. Hmm. Well, I know this for sure. It's your job to to figure out what that may be. Uh, the older I've gotten, I'm not going to dictate that God looks like this for me and that everybody else who's seeking God, whether they're of different faiths or different beliefs, and that their version is horribly wrong and mine is perfectly right. Uh, I have space and it's a place in everybody's mind to seek and find what they believe it to be. Um, I'm not going to dominate or push or force my version on anyone. But I will say this. I don't have to know it all. 
I don't have to. First of all, it's so it's complex enough trying to figure me out. I know I'm a struggle trying to figure out uh, another human being. And it's even worse trying to figure out how and what a divine creator could be and all this other thing. So I, I don't have the need to do that. But I do think when we seek um, an eternal being with all our soul and our energy, and sometimes it ain't till life gets you in some bad places, man. I watched Stephen A. Smith the other day talking about, you know, how he felt. He said he was through attacking Dak Prescott, the person, because he give him a hard time about throwing those picks in the 49ers game. He said, because probably Michael uh, Irvin, but someone had reached out to him that night and said, please don't mentally. He can't handle it. He's mm-hmm. been through a lot. He's, he can be in a dark place. And Stephen A said he turned on the game and watched it again. And he saw how he was off to himself. Then he did some research and saw how, uh, when he lost his mother and how he struggled so much with uh, uh, feelings of suicide and then how his brother, um, struggled with the feelings of suicide and lost his life to that. Um, mm. And he said, I'm through attacking him as a person because I too was in that dark place. And all I'm going to say is sometimes we don't really get into a place where we're ready to receive a being until we are in a really bad place. And I don't want to have to be in that bad place. I want to, I want to give myself, give it a chance. And uh, in my life, you know, I can't ever question the existence of God. Um, I have seen, you know, and you know, I probably say something else controversial for you. You know, I'm not ready to tell me that God's a man or God's a woman. How about God might be a little both and he's a being or uh, it is the being. And I'm not going to put my uh, own sexism on it and say, God got to look just like me. And if and if the word didn't come from a man, then it ain't strong. <laughs> you know, you know how some churches are. Can't nobody but a man deliver the word. I'm I'm not getting into all that. Um, I'm just gonna simply say that I believe that when when I have most needed to know that the divine existed in my life, I found out quick, fast, and in a hurry. And so, I, Let me I think ask you this: you should have Let that figure too, man. You sit in a park bench. God sits down next to you and says, I'll let you ask me three questions. Mm. Well, I'm a political nerd, number one, so I still want to know what happened with Kennedy. <laughs> did Lyndon Johnson do it? I mean, how did Kennedy get taken out? I mean, so I'm not going to lie. I don't know why that's the first question I need to know, but I'm telling you it is. I just, I just, these books, I know it's one Kennedy or two up here. I got the What happened to Kennedy, man? It's this is strange, man. How did this young president get smoked like that? It's terrible. I still want to know. I do. I do. I'm not going to lie to you. Okay, that's number one. Let's get out the way. I got my politics out the way. I think uh, the question that I would want to know is all the times in my life that I swore that I was doing the right thing and it ended wrong, how did it fit? Because yeah, people can say from the outside, well, no, you needed that for this or that. And if I look backwards, I'm not going to complain, right? Especially, you know, I got a wall full of plaques. Obviously, I did something right. Mm-hmm. But I want to know, you know, there's so much, if we're going to be honest in life, we all struggle with self-doubt or anxiety or worry about thinking you missed something or missed the opportunity. So I think I just really would want to know from God, you know, to point out these things to me to help me have peace going forward. You know, and I guess what I'm saying is, is that, you know, we don't want to have faith. We want to just be able to know. But that's just not how it works. You got to use faith. So that's two. Number three. Hmm. What else would I want to know from God? Uh, I just want to know that he was proud of what I was doing. That's about it. Hmm. That I was doing what I was supposed to be doing and I wasn't wasting the opportunities that he gave me or, or okay. she Okay, the, the complete opposite. Same bench, the devil sits next to you. Three questions. I ain't got no questions of the devil. I, I read this book, man. Really? Called, yeah, I got this book called, I read this oh, book. Oh, I need to know. I got some things with the devil. So, Well, I want to hear your devil questions, but let me just tell you this book. This book I read by Napoleon Hill. Everybody knows him from Think and Grow Rich. And a very popular book, well-known, whatever. He wrote a second book that he did not want released until his wife had died. And uh, it's called um, Outwitting the Devil. 
Mm. And what he talks about is basically in this book, he interviewed the devil. And so he didn't want this book out and people going, first of all, he, he crazy, his wife crazy, the devil worshipers, mind you, is written in the 20s. And so in this book, he talks about, and, and you know, I wholeheartedly accept and believe a lot of the things that he said in there. But he talked about how the devil said that when you are focused on your goal and you got a task and you're focused on it, you're locked in on mission that I can't get you. I can't get you because you I can't tempt you with all the seven deadly sins and none of that because you locked in on your goal. But when you get it, then you write back at an opportunity for me to for, for mm. me to get you again. And I thought about that. I thought about all the stuff I ever really locked in on and said I want it. First of all, almost all of it I got. And unfortunately, some of the times those were ladies too. I thought, ooh, I got the hat for oh dummy. <laughs> 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 but, but, but my point is, my point is, is that, you know, I think we have amazing power of will when we are focused and even better when it's something that God gave us to do. Like we are in a special space, like we, we're magical during that moment. That's why I think we see like celebrities and they're on the stage and they're performing and we're all like, Whoa! And we see, you know, a, a person, you know, playing sports and the way that they're moving and the way they're going up out. You could tell they were born to do that. Or you see Martin Luther King delivering a speech in that moment. You're going, he was, woo. We got to all find that moment for us. So I ain't nothing I need to ask the devil. Stay away from me, chump. Now let me hear what you want to ask. Why did he quit on God? Hmm. So you, you just a deep thinker. <laughs> I mean, like, like <laughs> wow. I mean, if you, if you think about it, like, in, 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 if you are a believer, these are the two most powerful beings. So, being that God is the most powerful, yeah, okay, but the devil got a lot of pull. Mm -hmm. I had a dream that um, I don't know a few months ago, and I was in hell. It was very real. It wasn't the typical fire and brimstone shit. But it was a nursing home and it was a hell that was like it was my hell. Yeah, that's why I'm chuckling. <laughs> and I'd like to know what was the what, what what was why did you do that to me? Yeah. And and then I want to know where's my grandfather? Is he with you? You gonna ask, is he in hell or is he in heaven? I'm pretty sure he's in hell. Okay. Why are you sure? Cause like I'm the only person in our family that has good stories about him. Mm. I was kind of like a, for whatever reason, like he, it, I, I think I was like his 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 last shot at getting into heaven. Hmm. And you know, like how you do it didn't work, bro. He wasn't that good to me. He died when I was I was young. Okay. Like he was good. I take it back. He was great to me, but the the horror stories that I heard from from my family about him I don't care how good you you are to me it's no way that you can undo it's people still dealing with the shit that he he put them through you know one of the things I know about that is and and, and that still doesn't mean that he's in hell um I think that the reality is is that people uh Tupac might have had this peg best the hell you give little children f's everybody and the reality is, you know, the people who sometimes are the meanest is because the meanest things were done to them yeah. and they don't know how to break that cycle. And 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 but look at you. You've already broken the cycle because you are here uh, enlightening people, interviewing people, helping people, healing people, encouraging you way too much fucking credit, bro. I'm not enlightening you, nobody. Yeah. You wait a minute. I watched your shows before you picked the name intellectually petty. So you obviously enlighten them on something. You know, you're learning something watching this show, good, bad, or indifferent. They're learning something. So, <laughs> so that's enlightening people. And, and All right, had, I'll take it. And then you already told me before we was kicking it what you do for a living. So I already know you got to care about people. You just put that tough edge on so you think that, you know, I don't want nobody knowing actually out here semi-halfway. <laughs> don't want nobody to happen to me. But you got to be all tough. I'm from Detroit. I grew up off of, I think you grew up off. I, I'm going to give you school crap. I grew Ooh, up this, where you seven grew up. Mile, bro. Seven mile, bro. You told me that seven mile. How yes. can I, let me discount Yo, you. What high school did you go to? You know I ain't but one high school in Detroit. Why are you tripping, man? Don't make me do this. 
Oh, I need I need to hear it though. Cast Tech, brother. Oh, come on, bro. Hey, but one high school in Detroit. That's Stop what we were taught. We were taught that. We were taught I, I, either you I, went to cast or you wanted to. That's how they taught us. I don't know what do you mean. I went to cast for one year and my, the biggest mistake, one of my biggest mistakes of my mama's with respect to me was allowing me to quit going to cast. Mm. I you were there that. when I was there. Yeah. Yeah, actually. Like, and the sad part about it is my cousin Angie, I, I, hopefully she don't watch this, but man, she was what, like two years older than me? And so, before my ninth grade, I'm like, yeah, you know, it was cast or renaissance. And I'm like, renaissance is for the nerds. I can't do that. Cast is for the cool, smart people. All right, so I'm going to do that. And I'm like, oh, yeah, my cousin, go there. When I go there, I'm going to know people. She plugged in already. She know it. Man, in three weeks, I knew more people in her class than I than she did. I was so embarrassed. I was so embarrassed. <laughs> like, like, what you doing? <laughs> like, how are you? Are you going to school? Actually, <laughs> yeah, she was actually going to class. <laughs> oh my god! So you would have been yeah. uh, eighty? No, you were ninety. No, 89. Well, I was a year ahead of myself. I got double. You were 89. Okay. 89. Yeah. All right. Well, my brother was 89 and I was 90. Uh, So, yeah. But yeah, you were there at, uh, you know, we were there around the same time. But uh, yeah, I went to Cass and uh, I know there are other schools in Detroit. I just like to give people a hard time. I can't help myself. So where'd you finish up? Henry Ford. Henry Ford, you right in the hood, my brother. You would have to know my brother. He was the same thing. He was at Cass in 89 until sophomore year, then he left and went to Henry Ford. Oh, man. Like, I, I had a good time at Henry Ford. Way <laughs> too good of a time. <laughs> it wasn't a challenge. No. Uh, well, you know, I've heard stories, so I don't know. But uh, I mean, we, you know, Chicken Wing was our uh, principal. And apparently your man was robbing the school blind. I didn't know that till you know, after we, <laughs> after the nigga got arrested. Henry <laughs> Ford had to challenge My brother told me they used to push a computer into the room and say, all right, there y'all computer time. And then everybody would kind of look at each other like, you touch that computer, you getting jacked up up in here today. Ain't nobody going to be smart up in here. You better leave that damn computer alone. My brother and I was doing computers back in 82. So my brother said, I wasn't no way I was touching that computer, Kevin. I just man. looked at it like, mm. <laughs> I was the only person in my neighborhood with a computer. Oh wow! And completely wasted it because it was not fun. Mm. You know, I had the foresight to ask for it, and when I got it, it wasn't Atari. Mm. Man, if I, I, and that's one of the things I really kicked myself is that I didn't sit down and actually learn how how to really work the computer at that time. Oh boy! But I will say one thing about Henry Ford, man. The best teacher I've ever come across uh, was an English teacher, Teresa Carroll, at Henry Ford. She's the first first teacher that accepted me for who I was. Because I was a real jerk. I was smarter than everybody, and I didn't care about telling you that I was smarter than you. But she allowed me to flourish, and English was, was always my best subject, and writing was a gift for me. And she saw that, and she encouraged that, and she really really made a difference in my life and at 51 i don't think she's here with us anymore but at 51 you know i still recognize the greatness of Teresa carroll and i still give her her props that's what's up man my, my favorite teacher was uh mr benz and uh you know we would he would allow me to debate uh books still love books it's a bookshelf here bookshelf there bookshelf in my office i love books i'm passionate about books over here is an audible right here I, I got books somewhere all the time i got school books i love reading as a result of what i learned in mr benz and that and that was uh he allowed us to be able to talk about what we saw in a particular novel and whether it was the classics or whatever else and be able to discuss them and debate them and have input on them in that class. And that was something I had learned from um, my uh, pastor and my other mother, uh, Frederick G. Sampson and Frieda Sampson. And that really pushed me to read and be analytical what I was reading. So the English was my jam, man. And, and here I am today still reading, writing, and debating what I what I, what I I got a chance to see. So, Yo, do you remember the, uh, the maintenance guy? The maintenance yeah, guy, Cass. The dude that rode the bike. 
and was the fly. I don't know if he was maintenance or housekeeping or whatever. But, but he always brother, had like clothes in the in the yes. shoes. Yeah. I man, I swear to God, dude was like the the crack dealer extraordinaire. Yeah, I think I think he I think he I think he was R. Kelly before R. Kelly too. You might have a point, cause <laughs> <laughs> but he, he was busy. He's a young man. Yeah, times have changed. I don't know why that man was working at a high school. He should not have been there. Yo, your man, you should, I got a thousand dollar bike. Yeah, and was dressed like Big Daddy Kane every day. Yeah, he, he, he was clean. He was clean. Oh my god. Anyway, um, yo, if if people want to get in touch with you, how to go go about doing that? Well, one. I want as many new members in the 12th Congressional District. So uh, come on our website, learn all about the 12th Congressional District, which is 12th. That's the number one, two, T-H, district. Uh, and that's district with an S, 12th Districts, Dems, D-E-M-S-M-I.com. So 12th Districts, Dems. I'm also on Instagram, Kevin underscore speaks. I love speaking. I love going out and talking to people, motivating people, encouraging people. Facebook, Kevin Destiny. Man, I changed my name on Facebook, and it was Kevin running after my destiny. I changed that in 2015, man. And now Facebook won't let me change it back, man. I've been trying to change, and they're like, nope, you're going to stick with Kevin Destiny. So uh, a lot of people be going, it's your destiny to do what you're doing because you stuck with that name. So uh, that's my social media, man, and uh, that's our website. And I'd love for you all to join us. Our next meeting is November 4th. We're in Dearborn at UAW Local 600 unless something's going on. And before we go, let me say this. There are lots of people who are out here fighting for uh, economic justice uh, and for a fair piece of the pie. And there's a debate over what's fair and what's not. But I'll say this. When people are fighting like this and engaging the process, that rising tide lifts the boat of people who don't have to fight. So we should make sure we go out and support them, do everything, because there are a lot of sacrifices being made. There's people striking into big three. Uh, for the UAW, there's people striking at the casinos in Detroit, there's people striking at Blue Cross Blue Shield, and now we got some nursing homes that are on strike with SEIU. So there's plenty of opportunity if you're in the Michigan area or in other areas in the country to find a way to support people who are out trying to demand fairness and justice for working people. So. Yo, uh, let me get one more question and I'm going to let you go. Why are we not raising our politicians? <laughs> That is a good question. Why are we not raising our politicians? I'm going to just say this. It is hard for people who have fought so long to get something to let go. Um, it takes really special people to find someone young, groom them, and give them opportunity to be on a large scale and make a mistake and let them come back from it. Uh, that's our biggest issue. We need to allow people to start early and know they're going to make some mistakes and encourage them and give them an opportunity. There's no perfect people. There ain't a one. There ain't a one. And so we need to give people a chance to make mistakes and recover. And, and that's the thing I think we need to do more than anything, because right now we get people who get power and they hold on to it. You know, let it go. And, and the organization will die with them. Uh, the, the agenda will die with them because they won't let it go to someone and let a, uh, it continue to grow. So I think that's the biggest thing we got to do. Uh, my challenge now is, like I said, I'm 50. I'm not trying to be the chair of the 12th district till I'm 70. You know, that's not what I'm looking to do. I want to grow and give people, just like I got a chance, an opportunity to be a part, to be engaged, to learn from me, share and build and make it better. And I can go do something different and I can build and make that better. And if we keep that process going, there's so much opportunity out there for everybody, whether it's business, whether it's politics, whether it's what you're doing. Um, there's opportunity if we play it together. And that's the, really the problem. So that's why we're not grooming them, because people don't want to share and don't want to create opportunities. I would agree with you. And please, 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 bro. A lot of people come on the show and promise me the world and don't deliver a mustard seed. I, I need you, girl, on the show, man. I need to hear from the other side. I, I can't promise you I'm going to deliver her, but I will tell you this much. I'm be very surprised if she doesn't want to do it. Uh, she is a very uh, person who really much, very much wants to get her message out. And uh, so, you know, I will text her when we get off and say, hey, opportunity for you. And uh, we'll work on that. 
I appreciate you, bro. I thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. I want to thank you for coming on the platform. I appreciate the opportunity, man. Keep up the work you're doing, man. I'll be watching. All right, no doubt, man. Peace. Have a good one. You too. Y'all already know, man, this is Jobs. This has been another episode of Intellectually Petty Radio. Man, we just had some great conversations over this way. I don't know what you're doing today, but share the show, like the show, the whole nine. I don't need to say it. Have a good one. Oh, next week, we got, we lit. We lit. We got Nuri Muhammad coming on uh, Thursday um, at 7 o'clock. I think we got Nuri Muhammad. Yeah, 7 o'clock is Nuri Muhammad. We got Brandon and Christina Smith. From Love and Marriage Detroit coming on next Thursday. And we got Shabazz the OG coming on Wednesday at 5 o'clock. So, um, jam-packed, you know. you know, We working over here. Shout-out to my manager, Rita. Um, and shout-out to Kevin Tolbert, man. That was really, really a phenomenal conversation. I appreciate you, bro. Um, if there's anything I can do for you, I'm pretty sure there's nothing. But if there is something that I can do for you, don't hesitate to reach out and let me know. On that note, I'm out of here. Y'all have a good one.